Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Porter Gals presents Terrifying Tales. Hi, I'm Debbie. And I'm Allison. And we're... The Polter Gals. Spooky. <laughs> Christmas Ghost Story. Written by Nick DiMarantino. Published in 2022 by Northwest Corner Books. Chapter 11 Family Dinner Deadly Streets Christmas Eve morning was bleak and unpromising. It was cold and wet, with a nasty wind, and a sky that looked like it was darkening up for something really unpleasant. The morning remained so dark it hardly seemed to happen at all, and then promptly the sky lost all color and dissolved into white flurries of snow snow. Children cheered. Adults groaned. A classic Christmas was in the making. It was a white Christmas, all right. The streets quickly became deadly. Radio announcers droned out warnings to everyone in the vacancy of Seattle. An accident here, an accident there. Traffic became a stalled and slippery nightmare. Neighbor skidded into neighbor, where icy driveway met icy street. Everywhere people were frantically sliding and falling through the red and green neon jungle toward home. Shortly before noon, Grandma phoned. She was flustered and nervous. Conditions were getting worse. The north end is terrible, she said. I've never seen it snow so hard. How are things over there? Beacon Hill isn't much better, said Gina. I didn't realize it snowed like this in Seattle. Well, it never has before, said her grandmother. But it gets worse every year. Honey, I don't want to disappoint you, but I'm not sure we're going to make it. Oh, Grandma. Not in weather like this. It's too dangerous. The streets aren't safe. I just want to warn you that you better not count on us. Five minutes after Grandma had hung up the phone, her gloomy withdrawal hovering in the air, Grandpa called. We'll be there, he said. Don't worry. But Grandma, your grandmother was just getting worked up over nothing. You know how she gets when she's excited. Grandma had something to say about that in the background. Grandpa chuckled. I know a way to avoid the hills, he assured her. It may be a little slower, but it's perfectly safe. 
If you're sure, Grandpa, said Gina. That would be wonderful. But I don't want you to drive if you don't feel comfortable. At our age, said Grandpa, you never feel comfortable. We'll be seeing you soon. Don't worry about Uncle Tony. We're picking him up. He's right on the way. Oh, would you please, said Gina. Thanks a million, Grandpa. Well then, bundle up tight. I don't want anybody getting a cold. And drive really carefully. Promise? He promised. Interrupted kiss. Well, how does it look? Flash. Gina smiled at the camera. Surrounded by evergreen wreaths, red silk bows, and flickering Christmas candles. The living room of Nana's house had been transformed into a tribute to the holidays of the Rossi past. A red ribbon had been hung across the top of the earth, strung with half a dozen Christmas cards from friends and relatives. Photographs of the various Rossis, young and old, lined the holly and mistletoe stern mantelpiece. Most of the room was dominated by the tree, its huge branches laden with dozens of delightful ornaments. A dozen brightly wrapped presents, each topped with a gaudy bow, had been gathered under the winking, blinking colored lights. Like a real old-fashioned Christmas, said Aaron behind the camera, stretched out on the sofa, his foot unpraised on the armrest. At least, that's how they are in the movies. He advanced the shutter. Not that I'm any expert. Well, I know about Christmas, said Gina. And I can tell you that. Flash. Another picture. Oh, Aaron, I wasn't even looking. She scolded. I know, he said with a grin. That's why I took it. Is that so? She leaned over and kissed him. He kissed her back. The kiss lingered, neither of them able to pull away. At least not until the doorbell rang. Who could that be? Who do you think? Said Gina, knowingly brushing and patting herself back into respectability. But it can't be them already. Yes, it can. You know, Grandpa. But I thought you said 3 o'clock. It's 2.30. My grandparents are never late, she said. Merry Christmas, dear. Now you stay right there and keep that foot up. I mean it. They won't be insulted. She hurried to open the door. Home again. How strange the house looked, twinkling and sparkling with colored lights and all that blowing whiteness. Luke could feel the blood pounding in his temples as he trudged through the snow from his parking place behind the house, the accordion case thudding and bumping against his ankles. Let me give you a hand with that, Dad, offered Tony. He had been standing on his porch, ready on time, when they picked him up. He had scrambled into the back seat, smelling like toothpaste and soap, and chattering about nothing the whole way. I'm good, Lou blocked his son from interfering. Tony was clumsy and dropped things. Lou didn't need a hand, not with his accordion. I've got it. I've got it. Help your mother with the presents. Lou had too much on his mind to be worrying about his son. Home again for Christmas Eve. They cautiously crunched their way up to the snow-covered front stairs. Lou knocked. The front door swung open, and there was Gina, welcoming them into the decorated living room of his mother's house. They all said the same thing at once. Merry Christmas! 
I know, I know, he said to his daughter. We're early. He was tipping sideways from the weight of the accordion, stamping his feet to shake off the snow. We wanted to leave enough time for the roads. He and Gloria were always teased about arriving long before anyone was ready for them. I'm exhausted, said Gloria. That was the scariest ride of my life. It made me wish I was back in California. Tony was shaved and tidy and wearing a nice sweater that was only slightly threadbare at the elbows. He looked nervous and thoroughly uncomfortable. He hugged Gina, forcing a weak smile. See, I told you I'd come. Lou was choked with emotion, struggling on nostalgia, but making a determined effort not to show it. A row of big red stockings hung from the mantelpiece, each one with different lumps and bumps, and prostitutions hinting at the treasures inside, each one stitched with the name of a member of the family. Lou could remember when finding walnuts and an orange in his stocking was considered doing great. Candles and wreaths decorated each one of the fireplace, right where his mother always put hers. Gina had gone even further than that. Lou leaned closer to one of the Christmas tree lambs and lifted a fluffy white chain. His finger gently touched it. Popcorn. Strong popcorn. He could remember his mother patiently sitting him down in the kitchen as a child to teach him how to string popcorn. Slowly, he had mastered using a needle and thread to produce a long, crackly chain. So many years ago, 20 years later, he watched her teach popcorn stringing to his two sons, Tony and Sam. 20 years after that, she had passed down the same skill to her great-granddaughter. Home, and yet not home. Other memories interfered. Later, troubled memories. The tragic last days of his mother's life. He distanced himself. It was no longer her house. It was somewhere else now. The home of his granddaughter. It looks wonderful, Gina, he said empathetically. Just the way Nana would have liked it. He kept an eye on his wife. Gloria was already in gear. And she could be such a stubborn woman. She knew what she wanted, family peace. From the moment she walked in, she was determinedly open-hearted and open-minded, ready to love everyone who had any relation to him, whether they wanted to be loved or not. She made a beeline for Aaron, greeting him as though he were a long-lost member of the family. Then she hauled her shy son, Tony, over to meet Aaron and left him there while she headed for the kitchen. Soon she was poking here, poking there, checking to see how things were going. The first thing she did was inspect the sauce. She stirred it. She tasted it. What do you think? Asked Gina anxiously. Gloria made a slight adjustment. A dash more of this, a pinch of that, and another taste. Lou shook hands with Aaron, almost wished him a Merry Christmas, and then awkwardly substituted Happy Holidays. He examined the air cast. Too bad about your foot. Aaron made a dismissive hiss. It'll mend. Keeps doctors employed. Lou strode over to the television. Mind if I turn it on? I just want to check the score. Go right ahead, said Aaron from the couch. Anything to fill the awkward silence to help Lou get over his thoughts away from the house. Every archway 
and windowsill assaulted him with memories. It was always so painful to remember how much he missed his parents. No matter how old he got, the pain never quite went away. To be here in this house again on Christmas Eve, walking down these halls and looking through these windows. Did you see the game this morning, Aaron? I missed it. Who won? From his position on the sofa, splinted foot uprise, Aaron tried amicably engage Lou in light conversation. He made a friendly comment about football. Lou made one back. Soon, they were making small talk with relative ease while watching the football game. Lou could see that his son, Tony, wasn't so lucky. He hovered uncertainly, halfway between the laughing woman in the kitchen and the men in front of the television. He didn't fit in in either place. In frustration, he wandered aimlessly up one hall and down another, restless, anxious, through the kitchen, dining room, and back to the living room, nervously awaiting the arrival of his brother, Sam, whom he hadn't talked to in years. No one was surprised that Tony was nervous. He'd never fit in well, always been the odd, partnered offspring. No one knew him very well. The last anyone noticed, Uncle Tony had wandered up the staircase to the second floor. What happened upstairs? A crash. Not until then did everyone realize Uncle Tony was missing. That terrible thud had been the sound of something falling upstairs. They were all about to crowd up the stairs when the stairwell They were all about to crowd up the stairs when the stairway door swung open and Uncle Tony lurched into the hallway. He looked disoriented. His face was pale. Uncle Tony, are you alright? asked Gina alarmed. Fine, fine, he said. His voice was weak. The words lacked convention. What happened? He pushed his way past them into the living room, where he sank into the depths of the overstuffed armchair, clutching the armrest to steady himself. I tripped, that's all. Did you fall? I'm so clumsy, my feet just got tangled up. You got to watch where you're going, scolded Gloria, her voice ringing through the dining room from where she stood at the kitchen stove, eternally trying to force some sense into her son's thick head while continuing to stir the pasta sauce. You've got to open your eyes. How can you be so smart and not see what's right in front of you? They all laughed. Lou laughed too. Something about Tony's story didn't ring quite true to him. He could see the familiar evasion look in his son's eyes. He seemed rattled, distracted. What's the matter? asked Lou, nudging Tony. Nothing, nothing, said his son nervously. No, I'm fine, Dad, really. It's the memories, that's all. So much of the past here. I'm sure it's even worse for you. Sometimes the memories seem so real that... He tried to shrug it off. He didn't want to talk about it. He massaged his temples. Do you have a headache, Uncle Tony? Asked Gina. Do you want some aspirin? No, no, I'm fine, he said. To tell you the truth, strange as it sounds, when I was upstairs just now, he tried to laugh it off, shrug it off. Well, I heard this kind of weird thudding sound. I don't have a clue what it was spooked me 
another attempt to laugh it off. Then, well, I could have sworn I heard someone crying. He didn't notice the effect his words had on Gina, the erupt tensing of her facial muscles, the widening of her eyes. Lou noticed. Aaron looked away from the football game long enough to say, You heard crying? He and Gina glanced at each other. The same thing happened to Gina. It's pigeons. They're nesting up there against the house to keep warm. Aaron laughed, trying to make light of the matter. It's just pigeons. Pigeons, huh? Said Tony, with as much belief as he could politely muster. That's great. That's incredible. Pigeons. The sound was so human. He tried to shrug it off. Don't mind me. It's just nerves. Then he looked at Gina in the eye. You're nervous, too. Want to bet we're both nervous about the same thing? Count me in, too, said Aaron. The three of them shared an uneasy laughter. Just like old times, said Uncle Tony. Everybody nervously waiting for my brother to arrive. The doorbell echoed through the house. Uncomfortable reunion. Gina opened the front door. There stood her father, handsome and successful Sam Rossi, flanked by Barbara and Wally, all of them bundled up against the stormy whiteness and bright plastic colors like a ski team, bearing armfuls of Christmas gifts, equally colorful. Come in, come in, she quickly ushered them out of the cold. It's so good to see you. She grabbed her half-brother. Come here, you weirdo nerd. Give your sister a hug. She locked Wally in a wrestling hold. They jostled and tussled each other with rough old-time intimacy. Hi, Barbara. A graceful restrained welcoming embrace, cheeks brushing and passing. Then, there she was, face to face with her father. Well, she began, and went completely speechless. Merry Christmas, he said with an awkward grin. Merry Christmas to you too. Gina was a nervous wreck. Nice to see you, Dad. Their hug was strained. The bond was too flimsy, yet held together by nothing but good intentions. Thanks for coming. I wouldn't have missed it for the world. The irony in his voice wasn't lost on her. Still, at least, he was there. Now that he had successfully overcome one of his hurdles, he turned to face the other. Merry Christmas, brother. Uncle Tony nervously stepped forward. The two brothers greeted each other as cheerfully as possible, almost hugging, but not quite, shaking hands firmly, if not warmly, acting as though the years of silence between them had never happened. Been a while. Sure has. It's about time, said Gloria bluntly from the kitchen doorway, continuing to stir the bubbly red sauce. Wally bounded impatiently forward. Great to see you, Uncle Tony. He gave him a big hug. Wally had always naturally gravitated toward his outsider uncle. He felt Uncle Tony genuinely liked him. Uncle Tony was the only one besides Rachel who had ever looked at his drawings and complimented him, who had ever encouraged him to draw. Barbara uneasily noticed her son's attraction to his uncle. She tried not to show that she was watching them, 
She smiled warmly at her brother-in-law, embraced him, kissed him, but she never stopped watching him. Where's Rachel? said Gina. She should be here shortly, said Sam. She's driving over from Lucy's. She spent the night there. She and Dad had another one of their religious discussions, said Wally, grinning as he purposely ventured into the sensitive territory. That will be enough, Wally, said Barbara. Well, come on over and say hello to Aaron, said Gina, gesturing toward the sofa where he was struggling up onto his crutches. Aaron, you remember my father, Sam Rossi? The two men looked at each other in the eye, muttered appropriate responses, and clenched each other's hand in firm, manly style, neither one portraying a clue to what he was really feeling. The introductions continued, to Barbara, to Wally, but her father never took his eyes off of Aaron. Sorry to hear about your accident, said Sam, lingering near the sofa. I could see right where you fell outside. The light stopped halfway around the back window. Aaron gave Gina a silent, patient look. Criticism number one. That's where the lights stop, all right, said Aaron. Due to circumstances beyond our control. Sam smiled. Things do get out of control, don't they? Boy, do they. Aaron gave Gina's father an appraising look. Out of control every time you look the other way. Looking the other way, said Sam. Can be a pretty big mistake. The living room went silent. The front door suddenly clattered open. Merry Christmas, everyone! Rachel Rossi bursted breathlessly into the room, red cheek, flaked with melting snowflakes. Hope I'm not too late. She threw herself into her sister's arms. Not at all, said Gina, kissing her. She whispered in Rachel's ear. Now, be good, please. Hi, Mom, said Rachel. She gave Barbara the useful faint peck on the cheek. Hi, Dad. Her greeting to her father was decidedly less casual, tense with defiance. Uncle Tony, she screamed, hugging him. It's so great to see you. Her greeting to Uncle Tony was so much warmer and noisier than anything bestowed on either of her parents. They both noticed. She meant them to notice. Well, here we are, said Rachel, cheerfully ironic as she hugged her grandparents. Just one big happy family. Dinner is served. A taxi pulled up in front of the house. Through streaming, swirling clouds of white, the back door of the cab swung open, impatiently before the driver could stomp through the snow to open it. The old woman who climbed out was overweight, but spry and determined to be around for a few more years. The snow did not impress her. She had seen worse. Snow was irritating and treacherous. Aunt Jo was 81 years old, Ursula's kid sister. She had never married and had managed to endure a long, uneventful life. She was luxuriously bundled in a fur coat and had color in her hair silver blue. Her unmistakable rapping at the door was chipper and aggressive, announcing that Aunt Jo had arrived. You don't think I was afraid of a little snow, did you? She thrust a fruitcake at Gina as she came through the door. 
Well, the day I don't come to a family Christmas dinner, you'll know that your Aunt Jo is dead. Her cheeks overrode, wearing too many jewels. She swept through the other family members like an aging movie star. You remember Aaron, don't you, Aunt Jo? Of course I do. I'm not so old that I'm losing my memory. Besides, I never forget a nice-looking young man. Her mindless... Good-humored chatter managed to provide a social lubricant to ease the jagging edges between family members. Ease, but not erase. Slowly, despite her banter, everyone ran out of small talk, and the conversation died. An awkward silence was strangling the living room by the time Gina stepped through the kitchen doorway. She unfastened the tie strings of her apron behind her. Time to turn off the television and sit down at the table, she said. Dinner is served. Everyone rambled into the dining room, shuffling and bumping toward their designated chairs. To sighs of appreciation, Rachel and Gloria carried in two long platters of antipuesto studded with Greek olives and artichoke hearts, fringed by slices of Swiss cheese and salami. They replaced at each end of the table. Aaron poured the wine. Grandpa, said Gina, would you say grace? Lou reached out and took the hands on either side of him. All the Rossies awkwardly joined hands around the table. Bless his family, Lord, said Lou, and this delicious food we're about to eat. He nearly stopped, and then impulsively added, And bless my mother, Lord. Bless Nana, who raised me here, and would have loved to be here with us this Christmas Eve. Amen. With murmurs of anticipation, the Rossi spread their napkins in their laps. Platter after platter was brought out of the kitchen and passed around the table. A heaping bowl of steaming yellow polentini, hot, slippery, muscati swimming in the dark red sauce, spicy sausages and meatballs, and spar ribs so tender that the meat was crumbling off the bone. The strained amability of the Rossi family was only surface deep. Conversations lurched and faltered. The only safety lay in eating. Everyone ate until they were stuffed. Gina was passing the platter of meatballs down to Aunt Jo for one last serving when she noticed that her grandfather's cheeks were wet. She quickly passed back her chair and hurried to his side. Grandpa, what is it? Nothing, nothing, he said dismissively wiping at his eyes as though they were scarcely worth the effort. Absolutely nothing. It's just that whoever could have dreamed that I would be sitting here again, here, in this house, eating this food, the food that my mother used to... He cut off abruptly and rose to his feet. We need to let our food digest before we have dessert. I think it's time to find out who remembers the words of the Christmas carols. Everyone knew what that meant. Rachel and Gina gave excited cries. Grandpa's going to play the accordion! Wally groaned. Oh boy, Christmas carols. Lou heroically launched his accordion out of its battered carrying case. It had traveled with him ever since his days in the Navy. Its ivory keys had been bleached yellow by the hot sun of the South Pacific. He jiggled the bellows tried a few chords, 
Then he showed off with a march. He followed it with, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Then came, Oh, come all ye faithful. One by one, the whole family gathered around him on the sofa and the armchairs and the pillows on the floor, hesitantly singing, genuinely on tune, momentarily forgetting themselves almost happy. Grandpa's accordion was just easing out of the opening deck the halls when the lights began to flicker. Lou paused mid-song. Gina took Grandma's hand. Aaron, what was that? She asked uneasily. Then the house went totally dark, accompanied by gasps and cries. For a moment, all any of them could see was the reflected light of the snow outside, coming down aggressively, whitening the night. Be sure to follow us on Facebook or on YouTube at The Porter Gals or on Instagram at The underscore Porter Gals. You can also find us wherever you get your podcast or at Rogue Media Network. You've been listening to The Poltergals, a Rogue Media Network podcast. This has been a Rogue Media podcast.